Hello and welcome to another episode of Emacs Chat, this time with Christopher Wellens, who is, among other things, the author of something that will play Emacs, play Tetris in Emacs for you. Uh, <laughs> so, hello, Christopher. Thank you for joining us. Um, hello. <laughs> yes, okay. So I, I initially reached out to you because I read your blog post about foreign function interfaces and all those other things. Uh, and then I realized you're the same guy who put together skewer mode and other really, really cool uh, interactive ways to use Emacs. But before we dig into uh, how you got into Emacs and all the interesting things that you do with it, can you tell us a little bit about who you are outside of Emacs? Um, so I'm your typical computer geek, I guess. Uh, I've been using Emacs for for nine years, but that's not that's not outside of Emacs. Um, I like I run I run regularly. So I'm a runner. I'm out there three days a week. I like computer games. I like reading. Um, and I, and I spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos. Actually, uh, that's sort of a, a big hobby. Is I, I find these these long half an hour long clips of series of mostly people playing video games. So instead of <laughs> playing games myself, I watch people play games because I can. A lot of time, I can do my own thing while they're doing that. So it's almost like multitasking that way. Yeah, yeah, and then you get all the benefits of the funny moments of the games without having to do any of the hard work. Uh, yeah. And I noticed on your blog that you you, you uh, also make computer games like Roblox. So uh... <laughs> occasionally, I, I like participating in the, the uh, seven-day roguelike contest every year. It's a fun thing to do for a week. I like the constraints that I only have to worry about it for a week, and then I get to forget about it after that. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so a lot of fun interests. So you mentioned that you started Emacs just nine years ago, which is yes. pretty amazing. How did you get into it? Uh, so I was on an internship in college at the time, and I was getting a lot more serious about programming. I'd actually, I've been programming for 19 years now, uh, since I was a little kid. So I was get, doing an internship, I was getting serious about it. And up until that point, I'd just been using uh, K-Write and some other, uh, some basic stuff. And I'd, I'd read some, probably something about Richard Stallman or, or and probably Steve Yegi, some of his, uh, his Lisp essays. And um, uh, I decided, oh, I should, I should look into this Emacs thing, and that's that's what ended up happening. And I I now installed it and read the manual, and I was reading all this material. I read I got um one of those O'Reilly Emacs books, and I read that, oh, yeah. and just kind of gradually built up from that from that point. Mm -hmm. Became my my only text editor quickly. Were you uh, customizing it right away, or did you start off using it as a as a programming environment for a while? I was customizing it right away, mostly uh, copying and pasting snippets here and there because I didn't really understand what a lot of it did. Just oh, this thing will tell me how many words are in a buffer, and then I, I dropped that into my configuration. And it wasn't until actually a few years ago um, that I started. I put my Emacs configuration in source control, so the whole thing is is carefully curated now, uh, unlike the sort of mess of copy, files I copy around that I was doing for a few years there. So did you end up declaring uh, Emacs bankruptcy then and starting from scratch when you started creating it in your config? Uh, it's pretty pretty close to from scratch. I want, it got 
heavily redone. Uh, if you, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at it, I'm sure. But I've got a little macro to help organize things and package things up into nice clean blocks. So uh, that happened about the same time I put it in source control, almost like a rewrite. Now, nine years ago, we didn't have a lot of the, the same resources we have now for learning more about Emacs configuration snippets. I mean, no GitHub. I don't even remember if Emacs Wiki was around then. So you mentioned the book was useful, uh, the O'Reilly book. But were there other resources that you found helpful? Uh, after that, well, actually, I gave away the O'Reilly book years ago because that, that's just a beginner book. Uh, to, I gave her a co-worker hoping to get her to, into Emacs and, and get that going. Uh, but since then, it's really just been... Um, primarily just reading the Emacs, the Emacs list reference manual. And there's, there's still so much in that manual that I don't know about. Like I, I go through it all the time, and I've gone through it like cover to cover basically a couple of times. If there's still things I miss, little details, and then I go back like, oh, I, I didn't know you could do this. Yeah, yeah. I find that every time I read the manuals, I, I come across something new. Last time I reread the Emacs manual, I learned how to add Unicode characters. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it, it just, there's just so much to learn. Um, yeah. And so, okay, so yeah, definitely reading the manual, probably reading the source code as well. Um, you mentioned coworkers. Do you have other coworkers who are actually using Emacs too? Yes, I've got a, a few coworkers, and um, not many. <laughs> Uh, and we, I, I spend time discussing Emacs with all of them on occasion, just kind of uh, sharing notes and uh, on on how we do things. And uh, what's funny is that pretty much all of them have adopted the color theme. I, I went with the the <laughs> wombat color theme that uh, that comes with Emacs, and like it seems like everybody uses that now uh, that that I work with. So that's kind of fun to see that. Like, oh, that, that looks familiar when I see their screens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see the kind of the diffusion of practices when several people who use Emacs work together. Yeah. Um, are the, like, are, the, are you sharing? Well, your, your config is on GitHub, so I guess people can pick up interesting tips off that one as well. Okay, so uh, so you you uh, chat with other people, you learn from books, learn from source code, uh, and this you know all of that the hacking that you've been doing around building web servers and and other interactive services. You you actually even put together something that that can talk to inferior Emacs processes, so running Emacs within Emacs or oh, something of the sort. <laughs> that that was a project for just a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even I didn't even announce it uh, yet at this Oops. point. <laughs> I was looking no, that, for repositories. Fine. It looked funny. Um, so how do you get to the point where, you know, yes, you started customizing it right off the bat nine years ago, but how do you get to the point where you're comfortable enough with all of these Emacs internals to just say, oh, you know, I think I would like Emacs to interact live with a web browser? <laughs> that, that's basically what it comes to. I can make it do almost anything I wanted to do right now. So I just I just have to, if I have an idea, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. And that's becomes like my primary focus for a short period of time until I make it work that way. So, I, uh, that's so. So to, to elaborate on that, so I've got uh, I've got a Steam account, and I've got something like 200, 300 games in there, but I rarely ever play them because these little programming activities are just like almost always more fun. Like I could, I could play this game or I could tinker with Emacs and, and it's always almost always Emacs. Tinkering with Emacs sounds like more fun. There you have it. Emacs is more addictive than the games that you can play on Steam. <laughs> 
I've heard that from other Emacs geeks as well. I mean, this is this is yeah, this is what we do for relaxation and fun and intellectual curiosity. So basically, you learn about all these things by simply having crazy ideas. Like, what if I could use Emacs to play Tetris on its own, uh, and then digging around in the code to figure out how to do it. Yeah. So you saw the auto Tetris mode then. I, I just came across that today. Okay. I, I often show uh, Tetris, you know, kind of when you're demonstrating Emacs to other people and you want to boggle their mind about just how much is in Emacs. Uh, and so I normally show things like, you know, Tetris and Doctor and whatever, and now I can yeah. show Tetris and Auto Tetris and drive yeah. people crazy. <laughs> okay, so lots of, lots of really odd and interesting things. Um, one of the things that people are often curious about is how actually people use Emacs. You know, what, what's your workflow like? What are the different things that you've configured? And yet you've shared your config on, on GitHub. Um, by the way, folks listening, uh, you can find Christopher Wellens uh, on GitHub as Skeeto, S-K-E-E-T-O. Um, but would you like to take us through some of the, I guess, the highlights of your config, particularly interesting snippets that you like using? Uh, sure. Uh, should I switch to my screencast here then? Mm-hmm. All right. And folks, while, uh, while he's doing that, you can ask questions by submitting them through the Q&A app or adding them to the event page. Or if you're an IRC, there's an Emacs-chat channel on Freenode. Okay, so you've got stuff. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's actually my server log, which I'll show off soon. All right, so here is my init file. You can see that okay? Yep, I can see that just fine. Um, so something that will stand out pretty quick is, uh, so if I come down a little bit, so I've got this uh, with package mm -hmm. uh, macro here. You'll see that show up over and over again. And uh, this is something I wrote myself, and there are a bunch of different versions. Everybody's kind of written their own little version of this because there isn't an official one at this point. Um, and it sort of groups related configuration options together into a block. So instead of having all this, this loose stuff just kind of dumped in, I can say everything related to uh, Uniqify goes in this block. Everything related to eShell is going to go in this block right here. And um, and I don't have to list any of the packages. So I use uh, Elpa and Melpa. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to list any of those packages explicitly. Uh, as long as if I just mention it here in this with package, it'll automatically get installed when Emacs starts if it's not already installed. Mm -hmm. I should do that. I'm currently using use package uh, by John Weigley, but it doesn't do the installs. So, uh, so okay. this will actually, you know, mean it. It always happens. Yeah. I think yeah, use package is like it is another one of these macros that's like somebody else has written, and yeah. there, are, there are a few of them out there. I, I've got some. Mine's kind of uh, cryptic. Like if you look at this entry here, I've got this um, this asterisk. Mm -hmm. So this says. Um, so up here, the ones without the asterisk are uh, lazily loaded. So these yeah. are only, only you know, it lets Emacs load them with the auto load as late as possible. With this one with, with the asterisks uh, are force loaded. So it will always, like Uniqify, I don't want to wait for something to happen for that to load. I want that just to load right away so that it, uh, so that's active. So it's got a little asterisk on it. Same with uh, winter mode, which uh, uh, with winter mode, you, know, you can hop up with arrow keys back and forth between buffers. I like doing that. Yeah. And then there, and there are asterisks on other things, and it has to do with auto loads, and it's pretty cryptic, but it's really useful for me. That's why I haven't really uh, put this out there for other people to use, uh, and, because it's not uh, yeah. yet. 
Uh, and sometimes you have asterisk after the package name. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's what it's. So that's something that changed with um, with package.el. Yeah. And in, in, in the latest changes, is they used to create a, a a secondary package called with the same name but dash auto loads. And there's this really cool trick where you could require uh, the auto loads package, and it. And you could do some configuration lazily, and it was it was a nice trick. But they got rid of that. There's no longer this autoloads package that's generated. So I had to modify my with package macro so that it uh, has the same effect. And to do that, I have this little asterisk asterisk on the package names, and I want that that effect. <laughs> um, oh, so in this case, I wanted to load. I wanted to make sure I load the autoloads with markdown mode, something like that. So that way, when when any of these um, Patterns are opened. It'll, it'll get set in Markdown mode because Markdown mode, the auto loads has already been set. It's something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember the details right now. Cool. I might give that a try. Um, other than that, there's not uh, too much special in here. Just a bunch of things that I like to use. Uh, like I've got right here, I've got um, I can quickly look up Java documentation. I've got that bound to Control H J. So, so normally you can look up documentation with uh, like uh, Control H F. So I can look up Emacs stuff, or I can do this and I can look up. Um, uh, let's say I want to look up an array list. So I do this and I'll pop it open on the browser here. That's really neat. And these are all the different packages that have been loaded into this quick jump stuff. And what makes this really work well is um, uh, Java's Javadoc is is ubiquitous. Like all these packages have Javadoc yeah. packages made, so it's easy. So, for, so documentation is in this nice clean format that I can jump to um, anywhere. So I can jump into the Lombok documentation that's installed locally on my machine by this process. Yeah, yeah that's good stuff. I often find myself like you know ending up googling for all this this uh, uh, all these details, but it's nice to have that just a quick keyboard shortcut away. Yeah. Multiple cursors is one of those things that I know I should be using because I, I hear it's super awesome, but I haven't quite gotten my mind wrapped oh, around it yet. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's you can do this and you know, modify all this stuff at, at once. I love that. <laughs> That's really fun. I use that up. And it's actually replaced. Uh, normally, I would do stuff like that with a macro. I'm going to write a little macro that uh, that does this. I say so I want to make the same mess, and that's then I do awesome. a, do it like that. But multiple yeah, cursors—that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's so much more comfortable most of the time. That uh, oops. okay, you just gotta yeah. gotta get the hang of it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's not mine, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so something I did want to show was uh, impatient mode, since I was asked about specifically. Um, so if you if you visit in your web browser, um, I put the URL in the comments for the for the event, so people can find that too. Zeus.nullprogram.com/slash/8080, and I should check this my uh, check this myself. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So you'll you'll see this here if you yeah. visit it. And if you click on the scratch buffer, you'll see a, a copy of my my scratch buffer here. <laughs> and it even has uh, syntax highlighting. Oh, that's awesome. Huh. 
Wow. Uh, how have you used this? What have you used it for? Um, so I've, if I need to share my screen with somebody remotely, this yeah. is easier than going through a normal kind of screen sharing session like I'm doing right this minute. I can just, uh, I can say, in, uh, visit, and turn on impatient mode, so in a yeah. buffer just like this. It's already turned on here. And then give them that URL, and they can visit that from their browser and watch what I'm doing. It's really useful if I pop up like an e-shell like this. Yeah. And I can, uh, uh, you know, go into, I can run a, a shell here and share that too. Huh. Now, if I were to like turn on impatient mode in this in this buffer, now you'd be able to visit this and see this this buffer. Wow. Uh, what are the chances you actually uh, are you building any two-way communication into this at some point? Uh, nope, it's just one way. And this was actually a collaboration uh, between me and and Brian Taylor, so as a coworker and friend of mine. <laughs> That's it's, cool. it's built on the same web server. Uh, which I call simple HTTPD. It's the same one that Skewer uses. Any any time I'm doing something with Emacs that involves a web, it's using my my little web server. Huh. I should try that too. Um, it, it it looks like you've put it to all sorts of really good uses. So you already have a video a downloading Skewer, which allows you to easily interact with the JavaScript in a browser. Um, yep. But this is pretty darn cool too. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's that, um, so, and there's impatient mode and skewer. So FFI, is foreign functions, how are you using that? I mean, I saw your blog post demonstrating it, but um, I was curious about the practical applications that you were exploring. Uh, so uh, that kind of hit a, a wall a little bit as mm -hmm. uh, it gets complicated pretty quickly. So one problem I was having, I wanted to, like I don't really have any real practical uses for it okay. yet. I thought maybe I could run a GTK window and like uh, and you know run a little graphical system that way. Uh, but if anybody who uses Linux and has launched GTK applications from a terminal knows that they're really noisy. It spits out lots of debugging messages, and that's actually uh, because I haven't made it robust enough. Those messages are actually interfering with my communication with Emacs because mm -hmm. it goes through a pseudo terminal and error messages and standard messages get piped into the same pipe uh, because of that and it really it gets in the way. So I I haven't done anything significant with that beyond just the little uh, demos which I can show here really quick. Sure. Um, oops. So I'm just going to copy right out of my uh, my readme here. Um, drop them in here. Uh, so whenever you, whenever you start using the FFI, it has to create what I call a context, which is really just uh, an Emacs inferior process that that's running my little FFI program, and it's really simple. It's a stack machine that I can send strings and basic values to. So I can say, uh, in this case, I've got SRAN. So I say, here's um, uh, here's my function name, here's the function signature, and it can push all these values onto the stack and then pop the values off and I get them in Emacs. So here I can seed, if you know the, the base, the, yeah. the C function, SRAN, seed the random number generator. So I can run that and that returns a, a void right there. Uh, so clear these away. And then I can start generating random numbers. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Wow. Sorry, you said if if I call uh, communicates with uh, sorry, you say an inferior Emacs process or uh, it's an it's an inferior process. So inferior if I go um, so if I hop into here, so you see this glue program, FFI yeah. glue. So it's just a oh, C plus plus program uh, that's linked with um, libffi, this right yeah. here. And and then it just drives uh, libffi through this really simple protocol mm -hmm. that it chats with through uh, through a pseudo terminal to this program or through a pipe, I guess I'm using. Uh, so it's just a pretty simple stack machine to make that work. So here's the switch for the uh, quote-unquote bytecode that makes it up. <laughs> so I can push different sizes of integers onto the stack. Yeah. And that's created this little glue program right here, FFI glue. So that's that's what this runs in the background. Yeah, I was curious about because you you mentioned you managed to get that to work as a package, and I I was curious about how it all came together. So so it's it's good to see that's how. If it was going to become a package, uh, there's complications with yeah. how do you handle that binary. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something I resolved with Emacs QL or Emacs QL. I don't know how you pronounce that out loud. I never say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> this Emacs SQL. I don't know if you saw that. If, yeah, if you're yeah. looking at my, so that runs that. Uh, that runs a subprocess. And the background, and then in order to make that work with SQLite out of the box as a package on Melpa, it actually ships with C source code, and it will attempt as best as it can to <laughs> compile that when you install it. So it might take like a minute to install because it's going to run a C compiler synchronously to get that to work. Uh, so I can I can try to demonstrate it. Yeah. Um, so I can make a database. Um, I'm going to call it, uh, this is going to make a SQLite database. Yeah. Oops. So I load that in. Okay. So we've got this, this connection object. Uh, so this is using a really cool part of Emacs now. It came from Sedet called EIEIO, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is really clever. It's a, an object system that's like a lot like common lists class. Mm. And uh, so, th so these functions, there's also an uh, uh, EOSQL MySQL, and then there's a PostgreSQL one, and uh, actually two PostgreSQL drivers. So I can do this, and this would be a, a database name. So I've got a database on this system called testing. So it'll create this database object yeah. that... Um, thanks to EIEIO, will work with all the same, because they're generic functions, it'll work with all the same functions. So once you have this database object, you don't care what it is anymore. You can just use this uh, same function, the EMAXQL function, to make queries on it. So I can say create table <laughs> like this. Oh. Oh. So I've created a table called foo. I can insert values into it. Wow. And if you notice, this is an S expression uh, syntax here. So instead of doing strings like you might might normally say, yeah, 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 yeah. I put it in a string. I've, I build up these vectors of symbols, and this actually compiles into a SQL expression. If I can demonstrate that. So I've got a, uh, oops. 
or first let me finish this statement first. I can say, so I can insert myself in the database and yeah, let me copy that. <laughs> so here's the expression and I can I can compile that right there oh. to see what it looks like. So that's what it's going to compile to. Wow. Whenever it gets inserted. That's cool. So I can then I can make queries in the database, and this is, oops. So it there it is. It comes out. Yeah, it seemed to double quote the Chris, but um, but I guess no. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, so yeah, the extra quoting. So I'll go back to that. Is and this is something I'm I'm not sure if I made the right choice on this. Mm -hmm. uh, any anything that's not a number. Uh, well, first, nil maps to null, so you get that direct mapping, and that feels really nice that way. So I can insert a, a, a null in the database just by making that nil right there. Um, but any other anything that's not nil or a number will get printed into a string, and that whole value is inserted in the database. So I can demonstrate that. Um, uh, let's say I had some kind of struct. Uh, like this, there was an object. I could put this object in the database huh. uh, under this under the name field, and it'll get printed. Really? <laughs> and then if I do a select on that, you'll see the same object come back out. <laughs> Indent that. So that's why you see the extra quoting down here. Is uh, is that because it printed the string, Chris, right here? I if see. I made, if I made that uh, symbol. Um, like this. Oops, I don't need to quote that because it's already quoted. Um, insert that into the table. Query this again and come back out of the symbol. Oh, oh that's cool. In the I... same way, but, uh, I keep interrupting you. No, so no, if you no, there, I interrupt you. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, what, so now I'm curious, what uh, what got you interested in building this in the first place? You know, is it just, hmm, maybe we should be able to do all these database things from Emacs Lisp itself, or or are you working on a project or something? Uh, it actually it goes back to Lfeed, which is my um, my web feed reader, yeah. which I'm I as even so skewer mode is probably my most used. Emacs package right now in terms of popularity and number of people using it, but the most useful for, for me has been Elfeed. Uh, so it's a um, yeah, web feed reader. I created it after Google Reader shut down, yeah. and I wasn't happy with any of the alternatives. So I thought, um, you know, I could do better than all these, and I'll, I'll write my own. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, so this thing here, I had to create, and to, to touch on EmacsQL while that exists, Mm -hmm. uh, so I wrote this in August last year, and I wrote EmacsQL around the beginning of this year, the very end, around New Year's. And back in August when I wrote Elfeed, I needed a database to store all this stuff in. So if I if I clear this out, you're going to see just in the last 10 weeks, <laughs> this is all the different stuff that I've, I, all the different entries that I've read and looked at. So in the last 10 weeks, there have been 2,451 if you wow. look at that line, the line number now at the bottom there. So this has to be put in a database. So plus all these tags, if you see the, the green on the right here, I can yeah. this. So you can see these are these got tags, and I, I can go into these and look at the content inside of these. Uh, so like here's in a real post that would be likely about Emacs. 
Um, so I can read them right here inside Emacs, or I can find... Um, I saw on your screenshots you had images working in this too, so that's really oh, yeah. cool. Oh, uh, if I pop down, one of these is going to have an image. There we go. So there's one. So this, this is my own blog, so I can read posts right here in Emacs. I just hit N and P just to go back and forth between um, between posts here. And yeah. so I, so that's where Emacs QL comes in. Is I needed a database to store all this information and efficiently index it. So if I if you look down at the bottom here, I press S, and I've got this filter. It's, if you see, it says junk. Yeah. Ten ten weeks ago, I said week ago. I got an S, and then I start typing my my blog name in. So it says live filtering what you wow. see here. So let's say I want to see everything with the tag YouTube. So I just do that, and that's all the YouTube stuff from the last 10 weeks. So I'll narrow it down to four weeks, or I can go back to one week, or I can say uh, one day ago. Wow. I'd like to have that kind of uh, quick browsing uh, through, through something like my org uh, data. So really cool stuff. Huh. Yes, so I, so I needed a way to, to search this fast, and I ended up writing my own little database format, and I'm That's still not satisfied. What was that? That's like the definition of yak shaving right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, uh, there's no database that is really suitable for this yet in Emacs. Uh, so that's that's why I struck out to write EmacsQL to try to provide this database so it would never have to be done again. Uh, <laughs> and I started porting Lfeed to EmacsQL, but I haven't finished that yet. And I'm not sure if I really want to do that or not, but that's that's something that's possible in the future. So it sounds like you uh, handle a fair bit of your life inside Emacs. Yeah. Uh, you know, you read you read blogs, uh, you uh, work with uh, web browsers and and other things like that. What else do you do inside Emacs? How else has it taken over uh, other things that you do? Uh, so I do email too. Yeah. Um, Saying so pop over here. I prefer not much as my email client. That's a. Uh, you've heard what? I've heard good things about it. <laughs> what do yeah, you like about I, it? Um, I like so if if you. Um, I'm afraid to like bring up email because I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 because people uh, config now. Uh, sorry, email addresses and whatever. Um, yeah, this I'm, one should be safe. Yeah. Uh, so there are tags. If you notice, this looks a lot. This looks pretty similar to. Um, L feed. Yeah. So we got tags on the right there. So this actually inspired the interface for for L feed because I started using L feed shortly after I started using not much. Mm -hmm. um, so I just like how fast searching is and how how quickly everything works. It's uh, it's really nice to use. Especially did, with the uh, twelve thousand seven hundred forty-one messages that you have in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that goes back to about two thousand five. I, I wow. pretty much all my mail. Oh, maybe I should give it a try. I'm currently using news for uh, for handling mail, but um, but not much does look very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so I you did, do mail. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I did try uh, M M U four A. Yeah. Uh, if I'm saying it right, that's that's what it's called, right? Yeah, I have no idea how uh, to pronounce things either. <laughs> uh, I tried that, and I just I didn't. It wasn't as nice as not much. That's why I ended up going with not much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, so you you have mail. Your config mentioned that you use calc. Uh, do you use it just as a yeah. calculator? Or do you do any of the other fancy things in it? Uh, 
pretty much as, as, a, as an arbitrary precision calculator. So he already had something in there. I was computing. <laughs> uh, uh, like a lot of times, I got. I just like, like what's two to the hundred twenty-eight? I just like being able to do that like anytime I want uh, without <laughs> worrying about precision. And it's useful to be able to do these quick calculations. And I, I always have Emacs up anyway, so I can just jump to that. And if I need to do units, I can keep track of units for me. So I can do seconds, and I can say convert it to years, and, and it's really handy. <laughs> I started to get the hang of all those things. But that's great. That was, you know, Calc is, is kind of Emacs in, my, in microcosm. It's, it's this absurdly powerful and flexible thing with yeah. uh, capabilities I have no idea. Um, yeah, it can do calculus. <laughs> Like, yeah. like it's, it's crazy. It's a full computer algebra system. So I think it's it's not fair to call it a calculator, really, because it's so much more than that. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, you you write a lot of Markdown, I'm guessing, from your config. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I write my blog in Markdown. Uh, so all those posts are in Markdown, and all the readmes. I just prefer Markdown for pretty much all my documentation. I haven't made the jump to org mode yet. It's just it's been this like thing that I haven't learned. I never learned enough about it that I, to, to really make good use of it, which I know you you love work mode, right? I, it, I find it to, to be similarly flexible, right? You can do all sorts of crazy things with it, but I guess if you've yeah. already got, got a lot of things in Markdown, then um, then you, you basically have that as your kind of the way that your brain works. <laughs> Most yeah. of it, it's very similar, but I guess some of the syntax would be just different enough to uh, have that little bit of friction you would get over. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're if you're not using org mode, uh, are there other ways that you manage your tasks? Do you know other things in Emacs? Um, so I've outside of this, I'm actually not all that organized. I kind of <laughs> I just work from my head a lot of the time, more than I probably should. So I probably forget things without even knowing I'm forgetting them. Well, you managed um, to uh, write a whole lot of uh, rather large-looking uh, pieces of code, even with keep just keeping it in your head. So, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, that was something. That was something else about um, Elfeed. As I noticed, you had written a, a post recently about. Uh, because you had logged all this, all this, all your activities, you could keep track of how much time you'd spent doing various things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually recently came up with Elfeed. Is uh, on the side of my website. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna go look at that really quick. You'll see these, um, these lists of places yeah. that I that I recommend checking out. These huge lists. Uh, I was kind of manually maintaining these lists until recently. When I realized I could tap the Elfie database to fill these out for me, it's like I've, I mean, I'm already maintaining all the stuff in Elfie, so I could <laughs> say they give me that. So I could. Uh, so here's what I worked out. So here's my blog. Um, so here's where the lists come from. So uh, it's like here's a list of blogs I was recommending. Yeah. So I wrote this function called uh, uh, Jekyll. I use Jekyll for my blog, so Jekyll insert yeah. URLs, and I've got a little filter string here, and that's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. this thing. Yeah, I see that. Uh, so I can just run this. I just evaluate it right here in the buffer, and it'll fill in. Oh, i got to load that. It's so new, I'm not auto-loading it properly yet. <laughs> um, let's load that. And then I just run this, and it goes into 
I was supposed to be working. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's a it's the nature of all demos to have yeah. something go wrong. But yeah. I, I see the idea where it's, since you already have that data in your reader anyway, you might as well use that same interface for searching through tags or whatever. You might even consider um, kind of capturing your reading your reading data and then organizing the list so that the stuff that you like reading more actually does show up earlier in the list. <laughs> yeah, that's something I'd, I should probably track more. Is like. Uh, as I read things, sort of rate them or somehow track that information and capture that in L-Feed. And I can, so I've got a database right there, I can capture that information and perhaps make use of it in the future. Huh. <laughs> the nice thing about Emacs, right, is, oh, hey, look at that. You have your uh, list again. Um, is that you can, you can do all this instrumentation and tinkering around. So that's yeah. all goodness. Cool. Okay, so, uh, so, so you do a heck of a lot of things in Emacs. Um, is there anything that you haven't gotten around to doing in Emacs yet? <laughs> um, that's so. There's there's a barrier for me to learn new programming languages, uh, and this this, hap this 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 touches on skewer mode. Is yeah. I before I get into the language, I want to have a workflow set out in Emacs that the, the way I like it. And <laughs> Uh, that's so that's how Skewer came about. Is I like I need to learn JavaScript and web development, uh, but I need to find some workflow in Emacs to make that work. And I looked at uh, Swink JS and it didn't quite do what I was looking for, and ended up writing Skewer mode while I learned JavaScript to make that work. Sorry, uh, let let me let me see if I understand this correctly. You wanted to learn JavaScript, and so you d you develop something in Emacs to talk interactively using JavaScript to a browser, uh, ending up writing you know however many lines of code that is in JavaScript so it will communicate with the Emacs process. Yes. In order to learn JavaScript. Yes. <laughs> That's part of. That's part of learning it. It's a good exercise too. I That's think. totally you know? awesome. I would have expected, yeah. you know, kind of like, oh, you've you've been doing this for a while. You'd had like years of experience in JavaScript, and then you got really tired of having to do the round trip or whatever. But to have that kind of be your first step into this uh, is really cool. Yeah. So I could, I, I, could I, I guess I could demonstrate some of that really quick. Yeah, with how sure. that works. Um, so here I say, let's uh, let's clear this out first. So kind of blank tab. I use uh, pentadactyl, by the way, so I can I can switch around uh, tabs here and do commands. So it, I don't have a I've got a Vim like interface to my browser rather than an Emacs like okay. interface. Um, so anyway, I say start out by saying run skewer, and what this will do is it launches a tab in in the browser here, just a blank tab that's connected to Emacs. Mm -hmm. So if I pop into a JavaScript scratch buffer, so I've got a scratch buffer for basically every language. So you got you know uh, scratch for Emacs Lisp. Uh, I, I hit uh, Control Shift J. I can actually launch. Um, I actually it's kind of wanting to do this. So there's a little keyboard thing, so you can see what I'm doing. So if I can just hit uh, Control Shift S. To, to jump to the, my scratch buffer, or if I want to go to JavaScript, I hit uh, Control Shift D. I don't know why. I'm, something else is conflicting, so I went with D. <laughs> so I got a scratch buffer here, and I can write uh, JavaScript expressions like uh, 13 to the 2.1. 
And, uh, oh, I got another, oh, that's my other computer, actually. I was working on something, and it's still connected. <laughs> so I can evaluate values here and yeah. put them in the buffer. And there's also a uh, REPL. I love the uh, profusion of REPLs that we've had, you know, come out lately, right? Because you can, you can just interact with all these different systems. Yeah, that's that, I love live systems. Steve Yegi has a really well done essay about uh, live systems and why they're powerful. So I recommend checking that out. You can probably find it on Google pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, so this is this is connected to this this tab right here. And to prove that, I can switch to my CSS scratch buffer, and I can. Uh, Edit CSS slide, so I can say I want the background to be red, and I evaluate just like I would Emacs Lisp or JavaScript. So I say Control X, Control E, and evaluates that role. Holy cow! <laughs> and they're like, oh, I I want some JavaScript in here, so I switch to a uh, an HTML buffer. I say uh, skewer HTML insert selector. So I'm gonna insert the page. Uh, oh. This is this part's a little bit crude, so I gotta get at this really quick. So I haven't really refined this yet because it's it's got limited use. So say I want to add this heading to the page, um, and I can evaluate this uh, h1 just like I would an expression. You can see it flash there on the screen, and there <laughs> it goes. And if I decide, oh, I want an exclamation point, throw that on the end. <laughs> and then I say, oh, you know what? I want this uh, sans serif. And then I want, oh, yeah, I want this to be white. And <laughs> you can add rainbow mode to this, which is, which is uh, somebody else's mode. It does uh, this coloration. <laughs> there. I learned about that recently. Wow. How do you save the results afterwards? If you really if you find you really like your 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 uh, your code, you just write the uh, right buffer everything, or I well, you could just save your buffers, but that yeah. might not be sufficient. So there's no there's no way to really capture what's there right now. Um, if I try to show off how this works, um, so I'm gonna pop up. I'm gonna pop up this. So I'm gonna go to the inspector. Let's move this off to the side. Um, if you see these styles are showing up on the bottom here, so it's actually just kind of appending style sheets to the page to get everything done. I see. So here's the first one I did, here's the next one I did, Yeah. here's the, the last mm -hmm. one. So it's just kind of building these up and it's a mess on the page, so I don't know if you'd really want to capture that as is. But it's good for experimentation and I, yes. I, I can see how that live workflow would be you know, really great for feedback because even, you know, even, even the hassle of hitting refresh in, in, on a page after you change the CSS is just yes. a little bit more friction. Yeah, I, I hate that so much. I just want, I want to treat web development as another live system I can hack and, yeah. and build. So I can go further with this. Uh, so here's my blog again. Now, so you see this little green yeah. triangle in the top right corner? Yeah. I can click and toggle that. When it's green, that means skewer is connected to this page. So I can <laughs> say, uh, pop up here. 
And this works not just with my blog. This is actually this is a little browser extension I wrote to make this work with Skewer. So you, so I can toggle this on on any page. If I'm on GitHub, although this will not work on GitHub because they're they've got security cranked up so much they won't let this work. But it is here on on every single page. So I can hook into it and come over here and I can execute code on that page just like wow. this. So I can do the same CSS rules and make my page ugly. <laughs> So that way I can tap into anything and, and do whatever I need to make it work. I had to go get that set up. Definitely. Yeah. That's cool. So I guess you use that for a lot of development. Yes. I've that's made JavaScript one of my preferred languages to use actually. Uh, because I've got so there's a WebGL now and you've got HTML5 Canvas. And you've got all of HTML, so I've got. So if I need to do something with a lot, if I want to do, want to write a program live that has a graphical interface, like oh, I've got JavaScript and HTML, I can just hack this up without ever refreshing the page. Just kind of build everything up as I go. You mean really like the nice. Bernoulli toy uh, thing that we're looking at in your uh, in your uh, show? <laughs> oh yeah, so that is uh, that's what I was doing before we started. I got it's really cool because I got something working in it. So this thing, if you're familiar with the yeah. Veroni diagram, so each color, it, it's uh, each it's section here. This is everything that's closest to this particular uh, vertex yeah. right here, and so it, that's the diagram. And my original idea with this uh, was I could write. This is uh, WebGL, by the way. Yeah. So I could write a shader that for each pixel on the screen would compare its distance to every vertex in the diagram and color itself appropriately. And the, the GPU should be really good at that. But uh, I came up with an even better version that involves these three-dimensional cones and the depth buffer, buffer and it's a lot faster. And uh, so that's, that's why I've got this up. But you can actually drag these around just like this. <laughs> and this is uh, it's actually a little slow on this machine because I'm using just the, the plain open source drivers at Debian ships, so it's not quite as fast as on a machine with like real uh, video drivers. So I can interact with this thing and it's, it's pretty fast considering that it's not doing any sort of exact um, evaluation of the Verani diagram because there's, there's something called Fortune's algorithm where you have this sweep line that travels across and, and builds this stuff up. It's not doing any of that fancy stuff. This is just really a, a brute force thing oh. with the graphics card doing most of the work. Cool. And, and this was developed live with, uh, with Skewer like this so I can change the shaders and update the page uh, while it's running and try things out without having to do that refresh stuff. Mm-hmm. So you are working in a lot of cool things. One yeah. thing that I wanted to make sure you mention, also because I'm going to, uh, also because it's really cool too, um, non-technical. But you release, I guess, all practically all of your things uh, into the public domain. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that decision. You know, what got you interested in it, and and how has that played out? So I sort of I started out using the GPL like seven years ago when I was kind of really. So I'd, I'd read um, Richard Stallman's Free Software, Free Society. I actually have a signed version of that uh, by him right here. And I got really into um, the Free Software Foundation. I had a membership, and I was licensing all, everything I did under the GPL, everything I did at home, even if it wasn't very useful. And I decided 
as I got more experience, just those licenses were cumbersome. If I wanted to use even just a snippet of somebody else's code to formally follow their license, and now I've got to list their name on it with their copyright and do all this, follow all these rules to make that work, and it just felt cumbersome to have to worry about these this licensing stuff all the time. And especially as you involve more and more uh, works that have all of their own licenses, it gets cumbersome, even if it's just these uh, three-clause BSD licenses that are just, uh, you know, give me credit. Mm -hmm. Even that gets cumbersome. So I decided I didn't want to have any part of that. I just want to make my code as useful as it can be to as many people as possible. And I do that by putting it in the public domain. So nobody, nobody has any obligations to me when they use this stuff. <laughs> and thanks for doing that. There's, there's certainly a lot of stuff that people can build on. Um, so, for example, that web server is probably going to get get added to my web con my, to my Emacs config shortly after this. But it's okay. it's great that you're sharing that uh, so freely. Cool. Uh, do you have any other tips for people who are curious about, say, getting into Emacs internals or are uh, playing around with some of this cool stuff? Um, so, so you have the Emacs source code. Uh, so if you have any, sometimes not everything's documented clearly in uh, doc strings. So you might have to dig into source code to see how it works. Or if you're having bugs, a lot of times you need to dig into the source code to see what's wrong. Uh, so I guess the, the main resources are the, I don't actually read the Emacs manual much at all. That's kind of a high level yeah. user thing. It's not really, if you're, if you're hacking Emacs and, and, uh, tinkering with it, that's not that useful. So the real useful manual is the Emacs list reference manual, uh, which comes with Emacs. So if you come in here, it's just going to be called eList on the, on the top level if you go through the info page here. And this is everything, or almost everything. It covers all this stuff. And you see how long this index is right here. This The index is 1,400 lines of everything that's here. So you can, just, you can come in here, you can just search for anything in particular. So like... Um, so how do processes work? So I just search for the string processes and dive in and, and read about how everything works. And there are lots of sections here that I have features that I'm unaware of and I, I get surprised by all the time. Uh, so yeah, use, use, the, use the Emacs list reference to see what all Emacs can do, how you can hack it, and then uh, occasionally you got to dig into the source code of Emacs itself just to see how things work. Um, a recent example of that uh, in Lfeed, there was a bug where somebody wanted to use um, X. So it's, I think it's X get selection. Mm -hmm. So you get the latest uh, uh, keyboard selection mm -hmm. or Alexa uh, uh, clipboard selection. Mm -hmm. However, this function, how it's defined depends on what platform you're on. And the doc string is, well, this one's, this one's, longer, but it doesn't really elaborate on how the different platforms vary uh, here, so you just have to really, so, and that's that's what's convenient about this. See the select.el on yeah. here? I actually made a keyboard shortcut, so I can just jump to, whenever I'm on one of these help pages, I can just jump right into the, the documentation here. So you can come in here and see, okay, so this is exactly what's going on with this function. Mm, yeah, I so find myself using a find function at point all the time now. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's basically like that, what that little link was. So yeah. I'll come into here and just kind of understand how things are working in this way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that that uh, Edibug is super helpful for for wandering around. But sometimes when I'm looking at something, I find myself uh, needing to to dig into the the sea source as well. So oh yeah, occasionally yeah, I end up there. Yeah, but that's yeah. it's it's kind of neat to see. So that and that's another way that I've gotten into the internals here is um, I've actually written two different Lisp interpreters. Uh, one of them I wrote myself, and it was, a, it was a really crappy little toy lisp. And then another one I did with that uh, the Brian Taylor that I mentioned before. We did a, we wrote a scheme implementation together. So I have experience um, with how these with how lists are put together internally. So I can look at Emacs and see a lot of similarities that come in, and, and quickly understand uh, what's going on and, and navigate my way around that way. Hmm. Did you do a list before coming to Emacs or the other way around? Uh, it was, it's, it's hard to say. As it might have been the list that interests me, and so I got into Emacs initially. Is it, the, yeah. But I said nine years ago when I got started, it was both Lisp and Emacs I was getting into at the same time. So I mm-hmm. actually can't remember which one exactly came that first. Right? Yeah, yeah. They kind of came hand in hand that way. So when, when you hear people, like, uh, you might see online a question, how do I get into common Lisp? Like, one of the recommendations is, like, uh, learn how to use Emacs because that's, <laughs> where, that's where the most powerful Lisp editing features are right now. Oh, yeah, a lot of people are talking about, you know, other editors like Lighttable or whatever, but, but yeah, I mean, Emacs makes sense as you customize everything, and, and a lot of people have built very interesting workflows on top of it, so. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your workflow. It looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, wow. Um, well, that certainly gives me a lot of things to play around with after this, um, and I, I hope people listening both live and, and afterwards uh, get to play around with all this stuff too. Thank you again so much for taking the time to to share your workflow. Uh, out of curiosity, you know, so I'm doing these uh, Emacs chat episodes as a way for people to get to know other people who use Emacs. You know, how they're using it. What are some of the cool things they're working on? Is there anyone you'd like to see on one of these episodes? Um, if I were to pick a name, I'd say Steve Purcell. Yeah. He's kind of the curator of uh, Melpa right now. Yeah, which is uh, so, super awesome. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll reach out and see if he's interested. Okay, thank you this so much. This, oh, this feels like a, like a witch hunt sort of thing. Like, give me a name, <laughs> and you go onto them, and then they give you a name. <laughs> well, it's, I, I find that, you know, I, there's just simply no way to keep track of all the cool things that are going on in Emacs. I came across your blog, and that's great. And now I, I, I don't even remember. Are you on? Uh, you must be on Planet Emacs then, right? Uh, my blog. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if it shows up there or not. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should. Maybe yeah, I should. I should check because it's it's a great way to discover other people's blogs. And but uh, but sometimes there are people who are doing all sorts of cool stuff who don't show up there. So, uh, so at least I'm, I'm glad we've had this chat, and um, and I look forward to other people's workflows as well. Uh, and if you're listening and you have a cool Emacs story or demo, please feel free to reach out. You can find this stuff at emacslife.com uh, or at sashachua.com. Emacs Life is probably easier to spell. Uh, and um, Chris- Christopher, where is the best place for people to find you? Um, I guess my blog and on GitHub. Are the two ways, and my email address is easy to find. So you can email me, or you can, if it's 
related to some one of my packages, you can just open an issue on GitHub, and I try to get to those pretty quick, although I've got a few hanging uh, issues that are kind of unresolved right now, <laughs> but I try to get to them fast. <laughs> yeah, GitHub's really uh, been, been great for discovering interesting Emacs packages, configuration, all sorts of things. Uh, so yeah. that's good. So that's nullprogram.com and github.com slash skeeto, S-K-E-E-T-O. Yep. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. I'm going to end the broadcast here. You can find the recording on the Google Plus events page, and it will also be available at uh, emacslife dot com eventually once we get this you know the, the page and the transcript and all sorts of other good things sorted out and all of that will be in the public domain as well as soon, yeah so as I hope I get all that like usual license terms right or whatever soon. anyway so um so I will just copy whatever Chris is already using okay folks thanks for listening we're gonna click on the podcast now have fun see you next time which is actually tomorrow um but that one's not on Google Hangout on air anyway I can stop rambling bye <laughs>